The broadcast is now starting. All attendees are in listen-only mode. Welcome, everyone, once again to another episode of Conversations with Carlton, a podcast produced by the Texas Economic Development Council. Uh, today's guest uh, is Tony Kai. Uh, Tony Kai, the economic development uh, professional in Denison, Texas, one of my favorite TEDC members. And um, before we get started, you know, I must say that uh, Tony and I share uh, a love of fishing and, and perhaps many other things, but we also share a strong dislike of the Oklahoma Sooners. He, of course, as an Oklahoma State Cowboy, and me, of course, as a Texas Longhorn. Tony, welcome to the broadcast podcast. Uh, great to have you on. How are you doing today? Hey, Carlton. I'm doing great, you know, under the circumstances. We're, uh, we're all trying to adjust to what's going on. We went from the absolute best economy in the history of our community to <laughs> we're looking at the worst we've ever experienced in a three-week span. So I know all of our colleagues are in the same position or maybe worse. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great time to see what you're you know, capable of getting done. It's really amazing, isn't it? It, it? it is like no one could have ever imagined. And we are, we're all in uncharted territory. And, um, you know, who knows what's next, but um, it's, it's folks like you that will get it done at the community level uh, that I'm going to look forward to following and um, following your success. And we will get out of this. Uh, let's ha hope it's sooner rather than later. Tony, um, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your background. Uh, I know that that uh, you grew up in Oklahoma. I believe you grew up in Ada, if I'm not mistaken, and, and you, you worked some in economic development there. Tell us about that, uh, sort of your your life prior to, to coming to Denison, Texas. Yes, uh, actually, I grew up uh, graduated from a town called Vanoss, Oklahoma. Uh, my senior class was 24. There's no town there. It's just a rural school. And left there uh, after graduation, went to Oklahoma State. Uh, while you know, I grew up, my foster parents were ag teacher and a first grade teacher. And so uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. So uh, because of the ag background, went to Oklahoma State and uh, got a degree in agronomy. And that's not something you hear every day, but if you don't know what that is, it's the study of field crops and soil. So uh, you might be the only TV member with a, a degree in agronomy, Tony. I think you might be right. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was good and the good thing is uh, I was recruited by the USDA while in college. So every summer I worked with the <clears throat> soil, soil and water conservation service as a trainee. So when I graduated from OSU, I had a full-time position with the USDA soil conservation service. So that was really handy and I enjoyed it. You know, I worked with farmers and producers all over the state of Oklahoma in different locations. And so I did that for a few years and I actually moved up to the state office. Um, 
in Oklahoma City, and we, we our office was in the Capitol, and it was in the basement of the Capitol, but it was still pretty cool to be at the Capitol and be around the whole process of, you know, politics. So we were there for a couple of years and and um, ended up working in Oklahoma City at the field office for another couple of years. And then my hometown congressman, Congressman Wes Watkins, put together a program that he modeled after the Tennessee Valley Authority, TVA. He was on the Appropriations Committee in Congress. He was very powerful. And he saw what TVA was doing. And, uh, you know, their main purpose of TVA was to take these impoverished areas in the Tennessee Valley and put programs together for economic development for the Valley, which is what was going on. He saw that. He saw how much money was going into that Valley. And he said, hey, I'm from Southeast Oklahoma and we have 21 counties and they're the highest unemployment counties in the state. So I wanna do something in my district. So that's how he got it set up. So there's a entity called Red Arc Development Authority that he set up. There's about four or five of us um, guys that I didn't know at the time, but I got a call about it. And so I left the USDA to go to work for him uh, in McAllister, Oklahoma. And my program or my job at that time was program manager uh, for natural resource development. And his vision was to do developments around these federal lakes these great assets that we have that basically had no development around it because the government owned the property. And so we worked on that. Um, his other mission was alternative agriculture for the third district. So we ended up building a catfish processing plant and doing a major aquaculture program for the state of Oklahoma. And then we did a fruits and vegetable project and uh, had a processing facility in Atoka, Oklahoma. So I did that for about four years and it was a great learning experience and he was a great leader and motivator and really had the passion to help his congressional district. So it was an honor to work there and I really learned a lot. You really, I really learned what you're capable of doing uh, when you're stretched, if you will. So I left there, um, he ran for governor and so he actually got beat in the closest gubernatorial race and at that time Oklahoma's history. So the Red Arc development was going to dissolve. And one of the other individuals that worked at Red Arc was in charge of the congressman's economic development program. Well, I didn't even know what that was when I went to work there, but he was an economic developer, Tom Smith. Some people may know him. And so I, you know, I visited with him about it and what it was all about, but I was mainly in agriculture and some other projects that I discussed. So when uh, the congressman left to run for governor and then he was no longer congressman or governor, we dissolved. And ironically, his hometown or his wife's hometown was Cushing, Oklahoma. And the president of the chamber slash economic development had just left there. So they reached out to me and I interviewed for that job and got the job. So ironically, the first time I ever set foot in the Chamber of Commerce office, I was the president of the chamber. <laughs> so that's kind of a, that was kind of a stretch for me, but because of the people in this profession and chamber profession, I mean, you can reach out to anybody and they'll, they'll go, they'll go overboard to help people 
in their careers. And so that's what made it fairly easy. So when I was in Cushing, I was president of the chamber and we had a contract with the city for some sales tax money to have an economic development program. So that's what we did. And it was a great place. Cushing is a city of about 7,000. Then the job in Muskogee, Oklahoma came open. So I pursued that and ultimately got that job and went to work there in 92. And I was there for eight years and um, great place for fishing. Uh, not too far from Tulsa. <laughs> it was a pretty good location. I enjoyed it. Uh, it was really challenging. We had some big successes there. We have the, the port of Muskogee, which is a really interesting piece of an economic development puzzle. Um, so I spent eight years there and things were good. And this job in Denison came up in 2000 and a headhunter friend of mine called me. And so I came down and visited and went through the process and was hired in 2000. And I've been here ever since. Tony, that's a, that's a remarkable uh, story. Tell me again, um, I kind of, I guess I, I lost um, Wi-Fi momentarily. Uh, you you were able to keep keep going. How long were you in Cushing? I was in Cushing three years. Three years, okay. And that's before you went to to Muskogee, right? Um, I don't know why I thought you had some sort of relationship to Ada, um, but um, uh, anyway. Uh, Tell us about uh, your decision to go to Denison. You know, how that, you, you said you were recruited by a headhunter. Uh, tell us about that whole process and kind of what what made you uh, decide to go to Denison. Okay, well, in Oklahoma at that time, there was only one, maybe two cities, maybe two, Ardmore and Bartlesville that had a sales tax dedicated to economic development. So in Muskogee, when I went there, they didn't have a lot of money. And the only way to generate money was to go to the providers like utility companies and the banks and basically like a chamber and um, ask for donations to fund the program. Now, we did have a contract with the city for $125,000. So that definitely helped, but we had to go raise the rest of the money. So we did a lot of work and raised about an additional hundred thousand. So our total budget was $225,000 a year. That's for staff incentives and everything. And then the state of Texas was rapidly, everyone was getting a dedicated sales tax. So I was watching that obviously. So we, we did what we could, had a lot of success, even with that really restricted amount of money. But the driver was that, uh, obviously, Muskogee is a 40,000 population, and Denison is that time was a little over 20,000. So, the first question as an economic developer, why would I go to a smaller city? You know, my next move would be to a larger city. But I went ahead because the headhunter was a friend of mine. I said, Okay, I'll come down and we'll visit. Well, when I got down here, and I grew up 60, 70 miles from here, so I was pretty familiar with Lake Texoma and, and Denison. So I, I love the area, so that was a plus for me, or I wouldn't have even, even come down for the interview. But when I found out, you know, what was going on here and the kind of leadership that was here, and then 
you know, they were generating a million dollars a year on half cent sales tax that they had passed in 96. So for all those professionals that had to be in communities where they had to raise their money, uh, when you see an opportunity that you no longer have to do that, it's, it's, it is a very pleasant thought process that you can just operate and do things without begging for money all the time. So that was a critical. And that's really kind of what those two things, the local leadership and, and the size of the community and the region that it was located in, I knew it was relatively close to metro area of Dallas, Fort Worth. So that's close enough to have some success. And the leadership here was exceptional and it's just been great. It's a great decision. Tony, I, I, I bet it, uh, I bet it was about 15 years ago. And I'm, I'm going to tell you this, mention this story because I think it was, it, it, it showed me, it was emblematic of your leadership style. You had me up. Uh, it was up on Lake Texoma. Uh, it might've been at Tanglewood. I can't remember. I, now that I think about it, it was at Tanglewood and you, you had a board retreat. And I think you had me up just to talk about the upcoming session of the legislature or, or, um, something along those lines. And, and, um, when I went into the room, I was amazed. You were sitting in the back left-hand corner of the room at what looked like an old school desk. And you had orchestrated the board retreat to where the board did the board retreat. And you were there as a resource. And I thought it was literally one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen. And it obviously 15 years later, it still sticks with me how you use that. And, I, and I'll, I'll quit talking here in a second, but you use that as a way for them to, at least from my perspective, to buy in or take responsibility. Would you, would you elaborate on that technique of leading a board? Yes, sir. That that's exactly that was the plan. When, when <laughs> I came here, uh, you know, the first thing, and, and and actually, the leadership had already set this up with the headhunter that uh, that he would lead a board retreat to kind of get everybody on on the same page. Which I was all for that. So that was another plus in the interview process. That happened about three months after I after I came. So during those three months, I was trying to get my you know hands wrapped around the culture. I mean, that's number one is what is the culture and the thinking process of the community and what's important to them and how do they like to do things. So by the time we got to the retreat, I pretty, had a pretty good understanding of that. But we went through the traditional uh, SWOT analysis and those things that everyone's gone through. It's very simple, but wow, it's, it is so effective. So we did that. Um, we repeated it the next year and then I did two or three different approaches to that format over the next two to three, four years. And you were there one of those years. And we really got, I really got over those three to four years, a, a deep understanding of what's important and what this community wanted and how we wanted to go about getting it. And we, we actually were talking about all this, this, this year about the list of things. We had a list of about 20 items that came out of that retreat, those first two or three years of the retreat. Uh, 
you know, new school facilities, a bigger hospital, recreational facilities, a, an event center. All those were listed back in 2000 through 2003 when we refined our list, what our target items were. And as of this past year, they were all done. And it, it took a long time. And I know talking to lots of economic developers in our training, we always say, hey, economic development's not that hard. It just takes a long time. And it's so true. It takes a long time. But if you if you have it written down, it will get done. If you stay, if you stay around long enough, I've been here long enough to see it all get done. But it's been phenomenal. And what we've you know, with that list in hand and successes that we've had, we've we've moved our retreat to an economic development summit. So the last five or six years, we've had a summit where I have city, all of our partners, everybody gives a report on what's going on. And the first year we had that at the Hilton Garden Event Center that we recruited about five years ago, uh, we had about 120 people there. So the last, every year since then, we've set a record. So this year we had 280 uh, people attend that. And it's a 8.30 to 12 o'clock summit annually in January. And it's just been super successful to keep everybody involved and engaged in what's going on and give them a report about what's going on in the community. So that's, that's how it's evolved. And it's just been fantastic. Well, it has been a lot of fun watching you and watching all your success tell the listeners about um some of the projects you've done uh, over the years and and you have done um everything from traditional economic development projects primary jobs based you've done community development initiatives uh, including i think a big hospital or hospital expansion uh just just tell the listeners about uh, uh, a lot of these projects that you've done. Well, I've been in it a long time. <laughs> so <laughs> that lends itself to seeing and doing a lot of different things. And that's the fortunate thing about being in the business as long as we have been in it, you have been in it, is to be able to, to see these things that you didn't maybe think you're gonna be working on and that comes up and, and you get a chance to work on it and see it through. But you know, the biggest thing that we did in Muskogee was uh, recruited a Fortune 50 company. Uh, they, um, the name of the company uh, was Fortune Brands, but one of their subsidiaries was Waterloo. And Waterloo makes all the uh, toolboxes for Sears Craftsman Sears tools, toolboxes. So it was a pretty um, uh, hot recruitment process. It was between us and a couple of cities in Missouri. And the unique thing that we did is we went to the vote of the people in Muskogee to authorize a one cent temporary sales tax for six months to raise the money that we gave as the incentive. Wow. And yeah, it was kind of wild. I don't know that anybody ever done that before, but we, we did it and it passed by 76% and we got the deal done. They built a 300,000 square foot facility four or 500 employees and uh, it was a great project, but that was pretty unique to just carve off six months and, and take it to the other people. But obviously that took a lot of people, the city council and the mayor and everybody to put that together and promote it and get it done. But I was pretty excited about 
that is one of the bigger success stories, you know, that you could have in a career to get a Fortune 50 company in a, a smaller town in Oklahoma. And it, the Muskogee, after we left, get get back to Denison, we've had lots of great projects. The biggest project was Reese Foods out of California. We had right. a we had a General Mills plant. Actually, it was a Pillsbury plant that had been here for 50 years. Um, General Mills bought them, and it was a union plant. This was early 2000s. And they shut the plant down and moved that production to Tennessee to a non-union plant. So that that facility is about 250,000 square feet, and it was vacant for about three years, which is a long time to have a facility like that down. But thanks to some friends, Todd Thompson and some some other friends in the Dallas Chamber, Reese couldn't find a building down in the Metroplex, so they knew about this building and called me and said, "Hey, is that building available? Can we show it in an hour?" And I said, "Absolutely." So Reese Foods, the largest frozen Mexican food company in the United States, uh, ended up, we put a nice deal together for them and they ended up moving here for the promise of 500 jobs. And as of, I mean, they're currently at 1200 jobs and they would add more if they could find more workers. That was a hundred million dollar project and it's just been a fantastic thing for the community and the whole region in the Texoma area. So those are the two big projects that that um you know we've been able to work together as the team to make things happen i've got a great i've always had a great team especially here in denison uh, it all goes back to the people that are working with me and i've had some awesome uh, team members particularly loretta roden she's my vice president of operations i hired her about two months after i got here so we've been together almost 20 years and she's an expert in computer and technology and she does all the bookkeeping and we we actually have two boards here we have a 4a board and then we have a private industrial foundation board of about 27 people uh, that board has funds that we've generated through owning and operating real estate and then of course the 4a board is from the half cent sales tax that was dedicated in 96. so we run two boards and it's it's great just got that many more people involved and connected and uh you know setting the goals and getting those things done up here tony i didn't i didn't even know that about your your um your industrial foundation um tell tell our listeners how how do do the does the industrial foundation and the type a board work together well first we cross pollinate okay so Right. I've got two two of my 4A board members that are automatic members of my industrial foundation. So that's number one. But the the way the foundation was set up, and and I think they were set up this way around the United States. The chambers of commerce were the original economic development entities and communities. Right. And I don't know if they were a C4 or what their designation was, but they actually needed to be a C6 in order to own, operate, sell, buy um, as a nonprofit. So they set up these C6 organizations and um, in Denison's case, the chamber set up the Denison Industrial Foundation. And that there was money uh, recruited from the utilities and 
TXU and so forth and so on. And then that foundation, basically the chamber board and the foundation, uh, they bought property and developed as industrial parks. And I think the key thing for our foundation was there was a Levi plant here for many years prior to me, but it was a 85,000 square foot building. And when Levi cut and sew operation, when they left, they gave that building to the city. Well, the city sold it to the industrial foundation on a, you know, like a 50 year note at some minimal amount of payments. So the foundation then could lease it out and generate funds for the foundation, which is exactly what happened. And it was a, it was a great income for the foundation. And when they, you know, they've got several hundred thousand and they bought Industrial Park, uh, Raw Lanford Industrial Park. And then that was kind of sitting there undeveloped. And then in 96, when the citizens passed the half cent sales tax for the 4A Corporation, um, we transferred that 175 acre industrial park over to the 4A Corporation who had had the money and wherewithal to go ahead and develop it out which we have done. So that's, it's, the foundation is private money. So it can, we use it to do things that we can't do with 4A money. As we all know, there's restriction on what you can do with 4A money. Correct. So that gives us two tools and it's just, uh, boy, it couldn't be any better than to have two organizations like that to do things. And they've, together we've done some, really phenomenal projects up here and we got more to go absolutely and and tell us about the the um that big hospital project there on the 75 uh bypass we had a public we'll call it a public hospital it's been here for many years and, and so did sherman and both those hospitals are running about a thousand people well our leadership and some of those guys were and ladies were actually on my board at the time but the leadership of the community said, you know what? <clears throat> the trend in hospitals is gonna be, you know, private private rooms um, and the cost to keep up with the technology was way more than a public entity like that could handle. So they spent a couple of years, uh, hired a consultant to come in and do a financial analysis of the hospital. And then they went out to the open market and ultimately selected a partner to buy us by our local hospital. And part of that contract was they had to build a new hospital, which they were gonna do that anyway. And so that did happen. And UHS is the owner of the hospital. And then we had this, we developed this site. Um, it's on the line between Sherman and Denison. Highway 691 is the divider between the city limits of Sherman and Denison. So it's on the Denison side, but you know, it's a taxable asset. And it's just been phenomenal. I mean, it is it is the anchor of all economy here. Uh, we now have somewhere close to 4,000 employees at that hospital. And Wilson and Jones, which had about a thousand or so, and Sherman is basically, they may have a few hundred if, if at all. So it's been the dominant medical facility and they're building about a $40 million expansion as we speak. So that's all taxable. And it's probably up in the three, $350 million range. So 
there's nothing compares to that as far as an economic development engine. Truly a, an example of, you know, what everybody has said for a decade now that, you know, healthcare and healthcare related jobs are going to be the drivers, um, you know, pretty much nationally, uh, as, as y'all are just like a shining example of that. That is, we've all said that service yeah. business and healthcare and boy, if there's ever an example, that's the example. It really is. Community. It's just such an impressive facility as you drive by on the highway. I, I, I always marvel at it uh, whenever I'm heading through the Sherman Denison area. Hey, Tony, after all these years and, and all this success, what keeps you going, man? I mean, um, you, uh, you seem to just keep rocking along and uh, I, I just I'm, I've had a lot of fun watching you over the years. <laughs> well, a couple of things keep me going. One is I, I feel like I'm contributing to people that you know, they're going to get jobs and they're going to have a, they're going to have careers and working for the business and stuff that, that we uh, recruit and bring in. They'll never know. Uh, they'll never know me. Uh, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. It matters that we've made an impact on people's lives. So that's my driver. And second to that is when you're working with people, volunteers, I love engaging volunteers and I love uh, helping train them and get them educated and putting them in a leadership position. I'm always going to be in the background. I'm always going to put them up front. I'm always going to give them credit for what happens because they don't get paid. And there's a lot of time and effort as a volunteer in this business or city council or, or mayor, the amount of time and effort they put in for their community is just phenomenal. And they are what, they're what, that's the motivation for me is to help them, support them and uh, give them leadership when they need it and uh, build them as great leaders. That's, those two things are super exciting for me. Well, it's it's um, it's fun to watch you work. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, uh, and and particularly in light of what's happened the last month, as you alluded to uh, in the opening. Um, where do you think, where do you think the economic development world is going? And then, by extension, of course, TEDC. You having served as a board member, and and been Fortunately for us, a staunch supporter of our efforts. Yes, sir. Uh, where is it going? Is it, yeah, that's a really good question. I think when this comes out, we're going to have a whole different economy. Uh, things are definitely going to shift. I mean, people now are shopping online that have never shopped online, but they, they force themselves to do it. So they're going to get used to doing that and some other things like that are going to happen. Now, as professionals in economic development, we're gonna be on top of all those trends and we're gonna figure out what we need to do to adapt to those, those changes in consumer behavior, job creation, just like we've always done. We've had, I've been through three, at least three recessions, nothing exactly like this, because none of us have, but I've been through some really bad recessions. 
And when it when it started turn started turning around, the economic development professionals are at the forefront, finding out what needs to be done to recapture and rebuild our community. And we've been very successful at leading that charge and helping our volunteers and and our other professionals and our city managers and everyone else that's involved. But you know, it's it's super tough right now because we don't know exactly where we're going. But it's also really motivational for me as a professional to say, I and my team and everyone around me, we're going to get in a room and figure out where we go next. And I, I'm super optimistic that what we will do will be successful. Love it. Um, the uh, the kind of uh, confidence that uh, quiet confidence I might add that that uh, we we know that you possess and we've grown of course to uh, admire about you and and I couldn't agree more I guess uh, the great unknown for all of us is you know is this a two or three month thing is it a six month thing is it an 18 month thing but but we will uh, we'll get out of it and and we'll um, not only survive but thrive let me and you know you're you're a student not only are, are you a great economic developer but you you're a, a real student of the game um, and while I got you on the line here uh, do you believe that that um, uh, manufacturing will return and that our economy uh, as many people believe will become more North American oriented as opposed to simply global oriented? Well, I love manufacturing first and foremost, and that's, those are the projects that I've always loved to work on. Now we've done, yeah. we've done back office, we've done hospitals, we've done entertainment centers, we've done all that. And those are vital components, but my favorite is to work with manufacturing and, and see how, you know, how they operate. We've, we're full. Uh, we don't have any space for manufacturing. We got a couple of small buildings, but all of our businesses were full. You know, we can't find any employees in manufacturing. So we launched a big uh, advanced manufacturing program where we're paying kids tuition to go to Grayson College and, and graduate with two certifications in, in advanced manufacturing. So we're that's what we've really been doing the last two years but the question is what's the long-term haul for for manufacturing i think it's pretty positive especially with you know supply being cut off from certain things uh from these companies from these countries that we've subbed out or or let our manufacturers leave us to go there to produce cheaper um but now we're seeing what that really means in, in a worldwide crisis. And so hopefully that will help put some programs together from the federal level and legislation and so forth that's really pro-manufacturing and, and bring that base back to our country because we definitely need it. Well, I hope you're right and I agree with you a hundred percent and uh, I think again once we um, get out of the crisis uh, there will be a lot of opportunities um, uh, in in communities across the country uh, to take advantage of that and 
and I'm frankly, uh, even with all of the the strife that we're living through, I'm frankly looking forward to it and um, and excited about it. Um, and I know you are as well. So uh, um, anyway, uh, Tony, I really appreciate uh, your time today. Uh, I want to thank you for all that you have done on behalf of the TEDC. I can't ever thank you enough. Um, and, um, you know, I hope you're, um, I know you like to fish and uh, uh, you're, you're probably one of the three or four best fishermen I've, I've ever known. I know you like to do that, but I hope you're around for another 20 years or so. <laughs> That'd be a long time. <laughs> But I will tell you, it is, it is a full moon in April, and the fish are, they're probably on the bed down there. Well, you, you uh, in fact, I was talking to my son last night uh -huh. about how you're a, a great smallmouth fisherman, <laughs> and, uh, um, and we, uh, we, which uh, uh, went into a discussion about catching uh, smallmouth with a fly rod, um, uh -huh. which is a lot of fun, too. So, that's, that's um, great fun. Yeah. Tony Kite, thank you for your time. Um, continued success in Denison, Texas. Thank you again for all that you do for not only Denison, but for the great state of Texas. Carlton, it's good to talk to you. And thanks for all the kind words. And we're going to keep uh, doing everything we can and supporting TEDC and just uh, keep making uh, Texas great again. We're already great. We don't have to be great again. We're already great. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. It's going to be great. Thanks, man. Sir. Sure.